Hello, and welcome to Notes from the Conservatory, a podcast from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. My name is Richard Cooper, and I'm the audio-video engineer for the conservatory, where I also teach classes in composition and electronic music. This podcast will chronicle conversations and interviews about the world of music from our faculty, students, and guest artists. Our first episode is a conversation between Professor Craig Ritchie and the internationally renowned pianist Joseph Kellickstein. Craig Ritchie studied at the St. Louis Conservatory and earned his master's degree from Juilliard, where he studied with Mr. Kallikstein. Before joining the faculty at Cal State Long Beach, Craig taught for 10 years at the Third Street Music School Settlement in New York City. In addition to his career as a pianist and teacher, Craig is also a successful film composer. His films have won several prizes at the Sundance, Berlin, Toronto, and Tribeca Film Festivals. Joseph Kallikstein is an Israeli-born American pianist who, at the age of 21, was awarded the Young Concert Artist Award. A year later, he performed with the New York Philharmonic under Leonard Bernstein in a nationally televised concert. In 1969, he received his master's degree from Juilliard, and that same year, he won the Levin Tripp Piano Competition. In 1977, he performed for the inauguration of President Jimmy Carter. He has played with some of the leading orchestras around the world, including the London Symphony Orchestra under Andre Previn. In 1983, Kallikstein became a member of the Juilliard faculty. He has made many recordings and performs internationally with the Kallikstein Laredo Robinson Trio. Now, here are Craig Ritchie and Joseph Kallikstein. All right, well, my name is Craig Ritchie on the piano faculty here, and I'm joined by renowned pianist and pedagogue Joseph Kallikstein, who's giving us a master class this afternoon. And I had the good fortune of studying with Mr. Kallikstein from, gosh, how old was I? Maybe 16 or 17. Three years of high school, two years of college. Oh my God. You, and you live to, to tell, to survive. <laughs> to tell. Yes. And it's a huge thrill to finally have our schedules work out to have you here. To, a great to thrill for me to be with you and to be where you teach and to your students. And I think maybe a great place to start, since you're here to teach, is to ask you what you feel is your greatest responsibility as a teacher. Well, I guess like doctors, do no harm. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even have to, to swear to it, you know. They, right. have, they have an oath. That's we don't true. have an... I'm, I'm saying it in jest, but it's, it's true, because in the quest for improvement and for knowledge and for searching for artistic truth with a capital T and all that, you can do harm. How do you uh, prevent that? I think just like playing music, you listen, you, you react, you try and empathize, you try and figure out what goes on in the hands and the mind of the person you're torturing, <laughs> and, and you don't torture. What year was it that you won the Levin Tritt? Oh, we are going into Middle Ages now. <laughs> 1969. Wow. I kind of closed the door on that poor competition because two years later, George Sell, who was the great conductor of Cleveland Orchestra, passed away, and he was the really the moving spirit behind that competition. So there haven't been any winners since. How important do you think competitions are now to the development of young careers as concert pianists? Or I went full circle with, with competitions like everybody else who has an artistic bend, you have a very healthy skepticism about it because how can you compete 
-hmm. How can you say this one is better than this one? I mean, this is not sports where you can actually time someone and, right. uh, or, or know whether the ball on the surf fell on the line or outside the line. There is no such thing. as So one resists it and one thinks it's artificial and it's only too easy to see the faults. However, the older you get, the older you realize that the chances of a young person to be exposed to potential fans, potential enthusiasts, potential conductors, promoters, are nil, you know, unless you have some incredible connections. This levels the playing field. You right. can be from the smallest town, the smallest state, or for that matter, the smallest country, and if you can afford the application fee, you can be quote end quote discovered basically just by your playing. You Even know, if you're not the top you, prize winner. Yes. Well, that has that has been a very positive development with the internet and television and things like that that cover a lot of international competitions. Millions of people watch it and follow it. You can have someone, either an important booker or an important manager or an important conductor, hear somebody in the semi-final round and say to hell with the jury, mm -hmm. I think this kid is terrific. Mm -hmm. So that's a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. The faults still exist because you have to be more perfect than perfect and very often great talents are not necessarily perfect, especially under tremendous pressure that yeah. the competition is. It's a, uh, having participated as a competitor only twice in my life. I still remember the scars. It's, it's horrendous. But we all have to have very thick skins if we want to try and, and succeed in something as subjective as the arts. So you do it. I remember you advising me about that when I was studying with you. And, and you said of the Leventritt that you weren't the best pianist that day, but that you were the most musical. Do you remember saying that? No. Nope. I swear to you, I don't remember. <laughs> what I remember taking from it was the idea, and I think that I tell my students, that hopefully the playing that's really going to stand out in a situation like that is someone who has a really special voice. Well, no question. And voice. I must have said something like that. If that's the quote you remember, all I meant is that I, I wasn't perfect pianistically. I didn't hit all the right notes. You know, nowadays it's harder and harder not to do because so many people, including good ones, do hit all do the right notes. But... It wasn't so much a statement about the other competitors. It has to do with the fact that, as you just said, mm -hmm. if I had something convincing to say mm -hmm. or some voice or some expression that communicated itself to the jury members, that's what won it for me. And in the end, that's what wins it for anybody right. with, with an audience. Yes, you want to hit all the right notes, but that's not what gets you the reaction. Because God knows a computer can do it better than you can. In, in terms of hitting all the right notes, and yet the computer doesn't communicate anything. So uh, this is still about, no matter where it's 13th century music or 21st century music, or whether it's pop or whether it's, it's classical, it's about communicating something through the notes. Do you have a, any composer that, with whom you have a particular affinity or closeness, and if so, why? Quite a few. I know it sounds coy, but it's not. It also changes with how one feels at the time and what one works on at the time. Very often I feel my answer to that question would have been Robert Schumann, and it would be because he's probably the most personal of any composers that I've gone through the psyche and soul and mind. And when I say personal, every composer expresses personal things, obviously. They talk about themselves when they write. And yet somehow... 
he lets you see his imagination and his inward world in a way that no other composer does. So yeah. that appeals to me a lot because I like to dig into that and try and bring it out. But God knows Mozart piano concerti stand by themselves and some Chopin, some Brahms and some Beethoven, some Bach, some Bartok. I so much and a lot of Schubert. I knew you were going to say Schubert. I remember your all Schubert concert at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's just phenomenal. You were a little boy. No, I was in my 20s. 1983. I was grown up and I knew everything about everything. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> uh, let's talk about chamber music for a second, because okay. you're with Jamie Loretto and Sharon Robinson in the Kalkstein Loretto Robinson Trio. and um, 38 years. 38 years. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you would speak about the importance of chamber music to you and then, of course, to the development of a young artist, in particular, pianists. What does that do for pianists? Well... Let me start with saying that the concept of chamber music as, as an entity is, I feel, is wrong because there's no such, there's music. And all great composers from the beginning to date wrote all kinds of music. And the only thing that distinguishes chamber music is it's for a small group rather than a large group. And it's more than one person. But otherwise, for some reason, somewhere, somewhere in the 19th century, Maybe because of the star mentality that people like Paganini and Liszt started, it got separated, you know. So you had hmm. the solo music, the famous soloist played, and then you had the chamber music, which was sort of the chief as compared to the Indians. But that was a false distinction in terms of both the difficulty, God knows the Brahms pieces for chamber music that are harder for the piano than most of his solo music. So it's false to distinguish in that, and it's false to distinguish in terms of creativity or in any other area of, of a composer's world. If you think of, of Beethoven or Mozart or Brahms or Schubert, they could have sat down to write on a particular day and write a song and then start on, on, on a symphony and start on a chamber music piece. It was all the same to them, just mm. different, different media. So that separation is really non-existent in terms of professional life, commercial professional life. Yes, some people specialize in one thing rather than another. Mm -hmm. But in terms of approach, there's no difference. And if, if I had to say what's the most important thing to do as a performer of chamber music, I would say is to listen, is to know how to listen. I know it sounds simple because we all listen, of course. Mm -hmm but to really listen to what people say around you. And from that standpoint, it's extremely beneficial for any development because in the end, that's what you have to learn when you play by yourself too. You think you hear yourself, you don't. You have to learn to hear yourself and, and recording yourself and listening to it, play, playback doesn't help. You have to, while you're doing it, you have to yes. learn. Yeah. And actors will tell you that there's no, yes, they do have soliloquies, but that's the unusual thing. Most acting is reacting yeah. and reacting yeah. to the last line you had just heard. So it's a joy to play because uh, you become a, a better artist if you know how to listen. And there's also the added plus that almost all composers who wrote chamber music were performers and they wrote for themselves. And almost without an exception, chamber music is at the height of their creative inventiveness and interest and so to imagine Beethoven without his string quartets is impossible right. to imagine Brahms without his piano quartets is impossible mm -hmm. uh, 
And just to add one last thing, when you play with an orchestra, a concerto, as a soloist, you may be the big shot, you may be getting a bigger fee, and the, the spotlight is on you, but you're playing chamber music. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even the big, big pieces like Brahms' second piano concerto, yeah. you know, you're playing chamber music with different groups of the orchestra, with the entire orchestra, with one instrument. So certainly in my life, there hasn't been any difference. And uh, thank God, people like Yo-Yo Ma and Emmanuel Axe have brought chamber music back to the mainstream, so there is not that separation. The big stars play chamber music now too, like they used to. Um, was there ever any other career that you aspired to other than music? You know, I've been doing this for so long. Yes, I wanted, as a kid, I wanted to be a mathematician. Would you believe that? Oh, wow. Yeah. I still love math. I find it so inventive and so imaginative. And well, it was a direct relationship. Don't you well, think? there is yeah. a direct relationship. Yeah. Photoshop is such a great new invention, you know. There's a famous photograph of Einstein who was both a great music lover and, of course, a great genius in mathematics and physics. And the, the famous photos, you see him stand by a blackboard with his head turned to an imaginary class, smiling, and he writes E equals MC square. And somebody photoshopped it. You see the exact thing, and it says E equals F flat. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the connection between math That's and great. piano. So the art of practicing and how students should be focusing their time, their energies, how to get the most out of daily practice, your experience. What I always think of is what conservative politicians always blame liberals for saying they, they see a problem, they throw money at it. You don't just throw money at a problem. The same thing with practicing. People don't quite know what to do, so they spend as much time as possible because then they feel they've done the most they can do. I mean, I appreciate the motivation because you do want to do the most you can do but you shouldn't do it instead of more analytical and more thinking and more mm -hmm. focused. And that's hard. To work for half an hour concentratedly is very hard. I, I certainly don't want to be quoted saying practice less, because most people would just practice less, <laughs> but not better. <laughs> How do you practice better? That's something, my God, it took me all my life, and I'm still learning. How to listen, how to analyze what you're doing. Some difficulties, physical difficulties that the only thing will go past them is repetition again and again and again let's say something is skipped you know you have to get from point a to point yeah. b very quickly and there's no way to to do it except for doing it enough times where the hand just knows to do it without because the right. hand doesn't think well my hand unfortunately does sometimes <laughs> but I, I try to keep <laughs> it from thinking itself. yeah exactly <laughs> so yes sometimes dumb repetition is absolutely necessary but very often you have to try and figure out what it is that's not going right. And if you can figure it out and, and focus on that, that can be more beneficial than just repeating the same wrong motion again and again and again. Not to mention the fact that if you do something wrong, the more time you do it, the more you're learning that. So right. it's a little bit right. like being stuck in the mud, you know. Yeah. Just pressing so the accelerator doesn't do it. Having said that, it's very hard and experience helps. There is the need to play again and again, so it becomes part of your nature. The piece, you know, music is like a river, you have to let it flow. You have to play it again and again to learn how it feels. The combination of the two is obviously the important thing, quality and quantity. Do you still get nervous? 
all the time. Let's talk about nerves and psychology of performance. If I had an answer to that, uh, I'll be writing books. Obviously, people who do yoga, people who do any kind of meditation, reach a point where you basically chase away your demons from your head. And basically, that's what you have to try and do when you perform. Because most of the time, you're nervous not for any good reason. Yes, if you haven't practiced enough and if you haven't prepared enough, you have a good reason to be nervous. But let's assume you did. Most of us do. You know, we are not frauds. So if you're left alone, you shouldn't be nervous. Why is it you get nervous? You get nervous because you start doubting yourself. Why you start doubting yourself, that I don't know. Obviously, the public does it to you, and the fact that you're exposing yourself in public does it to you, and that you can't take away. You know, the, Firstly, you don't want to take that away because there's excitement about that. Mm -hmm. Also, like sports or any other performance, it's the second that you do it that matters. You cannot say, all right, let me try it again. You can in recording, but in real right. life, you right. can't. So you have that chance, and that makes you nervous. Right. You know, if you watch a great golfer sink a ball from very far away, why was he able to do it just like they practice without letting the nerves interfere? I think that's where the, the focus and the meditation comes in. You, you try and chase away your, your fears. And sometimes I succeed, and it's a great feeling. And I think that when I succeed, I feel that I succeeded in chasing away things rather than thinking of it. It's not about concentrating yeah. on the music. You say you're concentrating on the music automatically. But I pity anybody who starts thinking about you know dinner while they play. <laughs> you know, because then it's not fun. Then right. you shouldn't play. So and, and you know the music well enough, so it's about letting what you know flow uninterrupted through your body, and that's a lifelong challenge. Some people very, very rarely, hardly get nervous. Not never, but hardly. And it comes with some kind of self-confidence. I'm rarely jealous of anything that I'm jealous of, that kind of self-confidence. Not, not so much that I can do no wrong, but just like, you know, I know this stuff, so don't bother me. Let me do it, and I'll do it well. That must be a great feeling. Do the stakes ever feel different from you playing a chamber music or playing a solo performance? As, as by tradition, we play solo by heart, so you have the added nervousness of remembering, not wanting to forget, and with music, you can forget. Although I have seen people who got so nervous that with the music forgot too. <laughs> they're staring yeah. at it and they're still, the mind wanders yeah. for a split second and you think you're looking and you're not. Yeah. I remember also once that I asked you to advise me about what to do when I was feeling insecure in performance. And your immediate answer was that what you said to yourself in your own head was to, to stay closer to the keys. Yes. Does that ring a yes, bell? Yes. And we were yes. talking today about sound, and, and we got into that technical thing about playing from the key, and it was so refreshing to hear you validate that for me so much. You know, because there's something to grab onto if you're closer to the keys. That's one thing that string players have it all over us pianists, is because they press the string with their fingers, and they really feel the thing that's making the sound. They're connecting to the instrument. We press the keys and then 1,600 other things happen yeah. before the hammer actually hits the string. And yet the feeling of comfort is with the keys. I've often used the concept of sound production to integrate that with technique. One can solve a lot of technical issues or get control in performance if one's goal is to get the sound that you want from every note. And is that something that rings true for you when you play? Yeah, very much so. That's because you try and emulate 
other instruments. Again, you, you, mm-hmm. by, by the nature of the piano, you're removed from the sounds, almost like you're pressing a button and then you watch something happening right. half a mile away. It doesn't give you confidence that that thing is going to happen half a mile away. So if you dig into the piano, it also gets a better quality sound. You know, you, you don't hit the piano, mm-hmm. which many people do. You hear the wood, you hear the aggression if you mm-hmm. hit the piano. I always say to the kids, you know, don't do that. The piano didn't do anything bad to you. <laughs> Why do you hit it? Yeah. Well, maybe sound is a great place to stop yes. because probably you have the most beautiful sound of any pianist that oh, I've ever heard and I it, you know in every every lesson it was both a joy and a curse to get to hear you demonstrate something because on the one hand it's like oh my god that is just so gorgeous and so beautiful and then on the second hand it's like but I'll never be able to do well, that. Well but that's where you were wrong. The sound is something that you look for. The first step is to have it in your head. If Absolutely. you had it in your head then you, then you, can, find it. It. you yeah. can find it. Yeah. So thanks to you you, you put it in my head. Good thanks I'm glad. All right, well, thank you so much for having this conversation. Thanks, Craig. You've been listening to Notes from the Conservatory from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. Thanks for listening.